Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast. And I call this one, What's New in the Radiology Literature, March 2010, or as it is also well known as Hot Topics in CT, the March 2010 edition. And I think all of these talks, these few will come out in March, if not in April 2010. So in looking at the literature, I noticed several interesting uh, articles and trends, and I thought I'd go through them with you. Now, the first one relates to the uh, CT protocols. And of course, we've spoken a lot about CT protocols, making the comment that if we could, we would do four phases in everybody. And obviously, we can't because of radiation dose. And then how do we maximize uh, the information, get all the correct answers, but minimize the number of phases? And so uh, we've gone through that in, in different detail. And of course, a lot's being written now about trying to get the same information with less dose. So one concept, of course, is dual energy, and we've spoken a little bit about that, where you can potentially get a virtual non-contrast CT, and we can come back to that a little bit later, and that would at least eliminate the non-contrast portion of the examination. We'll also speak a bit more, and I've given a little comments about iterative reconstruction, which is a technique for getting a lower dose, up to 60% lower dose, uh, by using a different type of reconstruction algorithm, and that will have some impact on the kidney. But what I've read in the literature, a couple articles, is on split-dose CT, and I thought I'd discuss it with you, both the pros and cons. So what are we talking about when we talk about split-dose CT? What the concept really is, is single acquisition, but two injections. What I mean by that is you inject, in this article by Zamboni, 50 cc's of contrast. This is his protocol. You wait three minutes, and now you're in the excretory phase. Then you inject 100 cc's at 4 to 6 cc's per second or mLs per second. And then at 200 trigger, you acquire an acquisition. So now you're getting a single acquisition. And what they're saying is, well, by waiting the three minutes plus, you have excretion of contrast. You have, in a sense, an excretory phase. And then you also have a arterial phase. And their results were kind of good. And uh, they looked at it in renal donors. And they said the split bolus technique uh, combines uh, vascular phases adequate for studying potential renal donors and resulted in a marked decrease in multi-phase scanning and thus radiation dose. And typically, obviously, with donors, you were getting two phases. So they're saying you can get one. They mentioned you can get CTA images that provide information, arterial and venous and parenchymal and excretory phase combined into one. That sounds really good, but the authors also comment that some limitations must be acknowledged. Renal neoplasms may not be evident in the early cortical medullary phase. And so I think one of the issues is, is this single phase also creates problems because certain lesions become less well seen, they become isodense, you don't have the exact vascularity, you don't have the ability to determine if a lesion is hyperdense, what's going on. And so if you would exclude all tumors and the only thing you are worrying about in a case of a renal donor is arteries and veins and uh, seeing the renal pelvis, I would agree with you that you can get by with this split dose. In fact, just do an arterial phase or late arterial phase. You get arterial, you get venous, and then just get a simple topogram to look at the calyces. But um, at least it's something to comment on, think of, and authors conclude, furthermore, only vascular abnormalities were detected in our patients and no renal parenchymal abnormalities were observed. Now, they weren't observed. Does that mean they missed them? So again, I'm concerned about that. Another article on split dose. This was a different technique, not a whole lot different. Uh, they scanned without contrast from top of kidneys to base of bladder, 
injected 50 cc's of contrast, waited five minutes, injected 80 cc's more, then they waited 100 seconds. So now you got really late phase imaging, excretory, obviously you got that from the uh, injection literally would be about almost seven minutes before, and then you had a nephrographic phase. And uh, in their situation, in this article, looking for upper urinary tract tumors, um, the opacification, 50% of the opacification majority of upper urinary tract segments, high sensitivity specificity and accuracy for urinary tract tumors, negative predictive value, 99% and 100% for two reviewers, and 100% prospectively. And in this study, what they did is they did oral hydration by simply giving water, as Satomi Kawamoto previously described. And their conclusions were that um, in patients with hematuria, the split bolus technique com provides complete opacification of the majority of upper urinary tract segments and accurate for the diagnosis of urothelial tumors. The problem, of course, is Again, that same issue is you really, in a sense, have one phase. Small vascular tumors, which we only see arterial phase, you're going to miss. Tumors which become isodense, you're going to miss. Uh, how tumors behave across phases, you're going to miss that. And so the limitations, no true vascular arterial phase, so small vascular lesions are missed. Vascular mapping, uh, at least with the second split bolus technique, is really not available. So partial nephrectomy planning can be difficult. There surely is the potential for missing tumors that are seen on specific phases, and we commented about that before. And the articles provide no proof of accuracy in defining etiology of specific masses as we look at washout appearances. So it's a technique that can be done, um, but it really has some potential pitfalls. Something to think about. I don't think it's going to be a solution for low-dose scanning. And I'll show you an example. The way at Hopkins we get, this was a donor. The reason we have the split dose was not because we did a split dose, but because the patient actually extravasated after 20 cc's in the first injection, and so we had to re-inject. But you see very nicely the pelvis and calyceal systems. I'll show you a number of images. You see the renal arteries pretty nicely. Uh, here it is uh, from a coronal perspective. And... Here it is as I take the bone away and give you a MIP image. And I just show you a sequence of images just to give you a feel of what the split dose does and how you could potentially do some editing. Here I'm editing out the renal pelvis and collecting system so you only see the arterial structures. And here I'm reverse focusing on the pelvis and calyces. So it's something that can be done, something I guess we could think about. Um, but... I'll conclude several things. It's an interesting concept with definite dose advantages. It's perhaps okay in a patient with a high pretest probability of a negative study, but I hate making that distinction up front. It's potentially a dangerous protocol which can miss smaller lesions as well as vascular lesions, and no data exists that is accurate as standard technique. So again, think about it. I'm not going to say it's something we should be doing at this point. Okay, another article, and something we've spoken about before, and this article finally has come out. This article from, Hap, from Hopkins, Karen was the first author. Uh, very important article. At a busy academic institution, we've noticed repeated examples of certain misdiagnosis, even by experienced imagers, both in our own department and outside. Uh, this is related to many factors. Discuss here a variety of common diagnostic errors on body CT examinations. And in this article, it's really well done. It's very much non-blame article. 
We looked at many of the reasons for misdiagnosis. We provided experience as to how you can avoid some of these mistakes. For example, we spoke about multiplanar reconstructions as being helpful. And we looked at many of the common pitfalls. And again, here are just a series of eight of the things that were addressed that are commonly missed. Now, I gave you a talk before about some of these, and I won't go into great details, but we'll also make the point from the article that you need to be aware of pitfalls in general, and we all know that from missing cases, that once you miss something, you're unlikely to miss it a second time because you're much more careful. Uh, we also make the point in this article across many of the pitfalls, how if you get beyond axial imaging, even with a cursory look at coronal and sagittal, you can avoid many of the misses. And again, this whole uh, pattern of misses, I think the way of solving that will be new workflow issues and new workflow techniques based around new visualization tools. So that's something you're going to see in the future. Now, I thought I would show you one pitfall that I did not put it in any of the other lectures, and that's the pitfall of where you confuse an adjacent structure as a mass. And I'll show you a great example. This was a patient who was sent to us for evaluation of a gist tumor preoperative planning. So now in your mind, the patient has a known gist tumor, and you're trying to define it preoperatively. And I'll show it to you. So look at this lesion. You see that lesion coming off the stomach? It's about seven centimeters. Looks like a classic gist tumor, exophytic. But when you look more carefully at some of the other planes, you see, okay, this could be a gist tumor as well. And gist tumors can enhance, but if you start looking, it has kind of a funny enhancement pattern. And if you watch it some more, the enhancement pattern has more puddling to it, and you realize on delayed phase or venous phase imaging, this enhancement pattern is not your typical gist, but it's really a hemangioma. And in this case, when you look carefully, this is a hemangioma projected off the very lateral edge of the left lobe of the liver. It's an incredible case, and this was actually resected, proven to be hemangioma. Looks all the world like gist tumor, but the enhancement just doesn't work. So again, it's a pitfall. Um, patient had pain, so this would need to be removed and everything. It was compressing the stomach. But you can see, and I've seen a recent case where it was read as a liver tumor and it really was a gist. So things that abut can be difficult. Also, in that same vein, I'll mention this pitfall. And this was a patient um, who was said to have a recurrent tumor in the pelvis. Patient had AP resection. And I think we all know this. In patients post-AP resection, the prostate can fall back and simulate a recurrence. And the same thing in females where the uterus falls back. And I'll show you the case. Look at that presacral mass. It's near eclipse, posterior to the bladder. It's a soft tissue mass, but it's the prostate. You've got to remember the prostate is there. And here very nicely on the sagittal views, you can see it's a big prostate, but just sitting and simulating a mass. Nothing to worry about. No need for a biopsy. No need for anything else. So that's a good example of one of the pitfalls. Now, another thing uh, I read about, and I'm always paying attention to contrast articles, you know, is um, this article looking at metformin, and, or, which is typically glucophage. And, you know, um, we all speak about glucophage. We ask the patients about glucophage or the many different types of metformin, different brands, and we've spoken about that on CTSS. And remember, in the old days, we'd have to stop it a few days prior to the CT. Now we tell the patient not to take it for two days after. This article looked and, and, and said, where's that information come from? 
and they showed that substantial inconsistencies exist between the recommendations of five international guidelines about contrast medium in patients who are taking metformin. And the reason there's this confusion, they said, is because there's very low level of evidence underpinning guideline recommendations. And in fact, they go on to say there is no evidence that there is an increased risk of lactic acidosis in patients taking metformin, and that's the reason that we stop the IV contrast. We stop the metformin, rather, when we give IV contrast, who have normal renal function and receive a single dose of contrast material. And in fact, no evidence could be found to support the recommendation to cease metformin administration or to retest renal function before recommencing metformin in patients with a single normal baseline function who undergo an examination with contrast media if it's the typical volumes that are routinely used for CT scanning. And it's an important finding. These articles make the point because it may, be, it may obviate the need to advise patients to stop taking metformin, which can potentially entail the risk that they fail to recommence taking it and thus increase their cardiovascular risk and worsen control of their blood glucose levels. So this is a very, very good point that, hey, we need evidence before we make recommendations. Now, the FDA still says, and the product inserts still say to wait two days, but hopefully this article will make us think and we'll have to really look if this is the right thing to be doing. Now again, it's easy to tell someone to stop taking their meds, but as this article says, is once people stop, they maybe they stop for three days, maybe they don't start again, all sorts of issues. But again, it makes the point we need to have guidelines based on fact. And in this article, they made it clear there was really no facts to support it. Now, in contrast, there was one other article which made the point that if you use pre-filled syringes, uh, it was effective immunosuppressed patients, that um, it, it became important that you had less chance of infection. It reminds me to make the point that uh, it's important to think about this because every time when, particularly with multi-use vials, you want to indeed be very careful. You want to, uh, as this thing says, we conclude the use of pre-filled syringes, allow efficient assembly of injection systems, prevent microbiologic contamination, and avoids the hazard of septic complications in clinical routine, especially in the imaging of immunosuppressed patients. Takeaway message for me is you want to be very careful on these patients, but you want to be careful on all patients. It's very easy to get contamination, so be really careful. Pre-filled syringes, single-dose vials have certain advantages over the multi-dose, and particularly if you're doing multi-dose, I think it's very important that you're really careful in looking at that. So those are some interesting things we've learned this month, and I'll be back with part two of this, but I thought those were a couple good things to think about, and again, showing you how current literature can really impact our practice. Again, we put pearls on CTSS, and there are more pearls on these topics in the March and April Pearl section of CTSS. And with that, have a great day.